0: Pandemic has disrupted life in the States for us for nearly a year now, and uh, I know this disorder is felt by many of you around the world as well. We are told that vaccines are the key. They will end the pandemic and return us all to some sense of normalcy. But the current offering of vaccines has raised key ethical questions and prompted many emails to us from listeners like Callum, Benjamin, Anna, Heather, Megan, Michelle, Krista, Tanisha, Matt, Carolyn, Candace, Daniel, James, and Franco. Just to name a few. The listeners all share one dilemma. Several coronavirus vaccines developed in the States and globally were made from the cell lines of aborted children, healthy children, who were murdered. Most notably, this includes the fetal cell line called HEC-293 from the kidney of a healthy girl aborted in 1972 and C 6 From the retina of a healthy boy aborted in 1985, apparently these and similar cell lines have been used since the 1960s to manufacture vaccines against rubella, chickenpox, hepatitis A, shingles, hemophilia, rheumatoid arthritis, and cystic fibrosis. Now, in June, Science Magazine reported that at least five coronavirus vaccines under development in the States were created using one of the two human fetal cell lines. But by the fall, it became clear that the two leading vaccines here in the States, those from Moderna and Pfizer, the vaccines currently being shipped, do not contain these fetal cell lines. Now, in the case of Moderna, this claim has since been called into question. But in either case, it was later reported that both Moderna and Pfizer used the HEC-293 cell line in the testing phase of their vaccine's effectiveness. So while there appears to be less of an ethical dilemma concerning the composition of the Pfizer vaccine and possibly the Moderna vaccine as well, both raise yet another ethical dilemma for some pro-life people over the use of the fetal cell lines in the testing phase. Now, as we record this, ethically derived and ethically tested coronavirus vaccines are in process, but they are much slower in development and will likely be more expensive, rarer, and more difficult to get. That's the prediction, at least. So should committed pro-lifers get the fast available free vaccines or should they wait? Pastor John, how do you think through these ethical dilemmas?
1: Let me make four kinds of observations and hope and pray that these will give some guidance to our thinking and our feeling and our acting. And I think all three of those really matter, particularly in regard to the use of human organs or human tissue harvested from the killing of unborn children. And we need to say it with words like that, otherwise we will conceal from ourselves what's happening. Yes. So first observation. In Romans three eight, some of Paul's adversaries accused him of, quote, doing evil that good may come close quote. Paul responded to this, that it was a slanderous charge. In other words, he distanced himself from that kind of ethical stance, and I think we should, too. We shouldn't do evil that good may come. God alone has the infinite wisdom to manage an entire world of sin in which he can turn horrible things for wise and good purposes. He never tells us that we have such wisdom. We don't. We are to live our lives guided by the principles he reveals in his word, not by our calculations about how much evil we can join in for some greater good. So if we really believe that the killing of unborn children is abhorrent to God and falls into the category of the shedding of innocent blood for which God's judgment fell. We should not think of turning this wickedness into a wonder drug to save our lives. We should not do evil that good may come. That's my first observation. Second, God frequently in the Bible calls us to do things and avoid things which are very costly to us personally in order to demonstrate that Christ and his ways are more precious to us than safety or security or comfort, and that we sacrifice in order to do what's right. When we are told not to return evil for evil, or that we should love our enemies, or turn the other cheek, or go the extra mile, or do good to those who hate us. All of those kinds of commands are designed to show that we are not in bondage to this world, and that the deepest contentment of our lives does not flow from needing to avoid risk. Or show vengeance. By denying ourselves comfort or satisfaction or safety for the sake of testifying to Christ's value to us and testifying to the sanctity of another person's life, or testifying to our hope for another person's well being, or testifying to our confidence in God's reward beyond the grave, when we deny ourselves, In that way, we aim to exalt Christ and his ways over mere self-preservation. So if a scientist avoids using tissue and organs harvested from babies killed in abortion, or if an ordinary citizen avoids using a medication which they know has been developed specifically through such harvesting and research, the aim— is that the Christian conscience is preserved and Christ is made much of as more valuable than any security or safety or health we might get through sin. Third, avoiding such research and avoiding the use of the products of such research is only one way of testifying to the truth and value of Christ and the sanctity of the unborn persons. But another way that should be added is the proactive engagement in whatever way we can to speak and act against the taking of innocent human life in the womb and the use of those children for research and experimentation. So I'm saying renunciation that is the avoidance part of our ethics which is being asked about to so avoid the medication yeah. the 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 renunciation of the use of such drugs has value yes it does and supplementing that value should also be the proactive engagement of resisting and discouraging abortion and the use of aborted babies in research and the final observation the fourth one that i would make is the one that's most difficult to articulate, but may be the most important. The observation is that acting on principle, in this case, the principle that we do not want to be complicit in the desecration of dismembered human beings, acting on principle often does not look like the most obvious way to be a blessing to the greatest number of people. For example, if you try to act on the principle of not participating in the desecration of these children by avoiding medicines developed from their dead bodies, someone will say, but look, look at all the good that is coming through the medication. And they will say that they can't see the good that may be coming from your principled action. So what I'm saying here is this, God has ways of honoring and blessing and multiplying the effectiveness of principled action in his name, Hmm. which to the human calculation may appear futile. This is certainly the case with many martyrdoms in history, for example, or other kinds of sacrificial principled actions which didn't look like they were going to have any payoff at all for the suffering person or for or their family or for the cause of Christ. Just a dead-end street at the stake of suffering. The sufferers simply acted because their consciences wouldn't let them do otherwise, while the world sees that as futile and foolish. Just save yourself and your family. And others, and stop denying yourself the privilege of life or health or prosperity. And my point, again, is God is God. He honors integrity and principled action that is rooted in his truth and his beauty and his worth, even where the world cannot see the point. Hmm. We have no idea what explosive effects in the depths of God's providence and purposes our principled action might unleash by God's grace. So, I'm saying let's not act as researchers or as ordinary consumers in a way that desecrates the bodies of unborn victims and treats those children as though they can be killed and their tissue harvested for our benefit.
0: Amen. That's a sobering word. Thank you, Pastor John, and thanks to everyone who sent this question into us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, you can ask a question or follow up with a, a question of your own. A follow up to this topic. You can do that online at desiringgodorg forward slash John, and there you can also search or browse 1600 of our past episodes and even subscribe to the podcast. Well, we have been talking a lot about providence of late, but why? What's the big deal about God's Providence. What are the implications of the doctrine for my busy life? We're going to spend some time looking at the implications of providence, and we'll begin doing this next time on Wednesday. I'm Tony Ranke. We'll see you
1: then.